Welcome to the YAMCast, where we discuss the Bible and how it collides with the young adult life. I am one of your hosts, Erica Haas, and here is... My name is Chris Stukenberg. <laughs> Are you thinking, how can I best support this show? I am. Well, I am going to tell you how. Wonderful. You can review us on Apple Podcasts. We currently have two. I'm hoping we can get to 20. Let's do it. Let's do it. If you leave a review, I'll send you a sticker. Sound good? Sounds awesome. All right. All right. So this season we're doing Colossians. Totally different book than what we've done before. The yes. other ones were? More of a historical narrative. Correct. Right? Right. So James and Ruth have a historical narrative piece, which means it's a storyline. There's a, a structure to it. And I think one of the important things if we're teaching narrative is to anchor it in the basic storyline. We don't have to do that with what's called an epistle, which is what Colossians is. And so with Colossians, with doing an epistle, we're going to not hit the basic storyline. We'll still keep the deeper dive. We'll still keep, let's get practical. But we're going to switch it up in the beginning. Instead of doing basic storyline, it's going to be a read through. Yeah. So we're going to actually go verse by verse all the way through this book. And how we're going to do it is we're going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about each verse you know, almost the whole book. There might be some where we do three or four verses in a row and then we talk about yeah. it for a few seconds or whatever. So with that said, are, is everyone ready for Colossians 1? The read through. Verses so. 1 through 8. James says no, but guess what? We're going. It doesn't matter what the producer <laughs> wants. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So what exactly is an apostle? So the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos. Super fun. That helps. Every time you say the <laughs> word Greek, everyone's like, yay. So uh, what an apostle is, is it just means a sent out one. So someone who is sent out is an apostle. Okay, so him using it, like why does he start with that? Because it could almost come across as if he's a bit high and mighty. So why why is that important that he kind of address himself that way. None of the apostles would have considered themselves to be high and mighty. However, if a church receives a letter from an apostle, they know that it's it's something that God wants them to say. Okay. Because the, the very word apostle, as far as the New Testament goes, means that they are someone who is sent to tell you what God says. So there is a weight to it. He's not saying this in the sense of, I want you to worship me, mm -hmm. but more in the sense of, this is me, I'm a legit one who has been sent out by Christ. So the, the, in the New Testament, there are 11 apostles, starting in the beginning of Acts, right? Because Judas hung himself, yes. and then they put another person in place of Judas. But Paul actually has an experience with Jesus where Jesus tells him, I am sending you out to the Gentiles to go do my work. So Paul can say, I'm an apostle, it's legit. And so he's not using it as a title of uh, superiority, mm -hmm. but a title of respect. You need to listen to what I'm saying. This is important. And yeah, basically... Even if like we would use that today, if I were to be going into a room to speak to people, I would kind of let them know why I have the authority to do so, totally. right? So I would have, I've studied or I've, you know, I'd have different accolades or whatever with my name to basically let them know I'm not just Joe Schmo. Like I have, yeah. Yeah. The authority to do I this. I can guarantee your name is not Joe Schmo. So that's really helpful. <laughs> but the, the idea here is yes, if such as if I'm going to a conference to speak, you know, if I'm speaking here at our church, people know that I'm one of the pastors. They know I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So if I'm standing up on a Sunday morning, they're already listening because they, they know I'm going to lead them through God's word in some way. If I'm going to a conference, my first thing is to introduce myself. 
And part of how I introduce myself is I am, you know, Chris Dukerberg. I'm the executive pastor at Park Hills. I've been serving there for this many years. I've served in ministry this many years. My studies have taken me down these paths, and I've studied at Trinity and Moody Bible Institute. And that automatically, nobody's interested in that moment, but they're like, oh, okay, he's legit. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and they might not even consciously think that, but it definitely is like a, oh, okay, like yes. this isn't just a random person. <laughs> right. He has done his work. Yeah. I'm yeah. a homeless guy. I'm going to tell you about Colossians. Hey, I've got some thoughts. <laughs> hey, come on in here. Listen to me. So also... Not that homeless people can't be important. That's not what I'm yes. saying. Um, so who is Timothy? Timothy is one of Paul's uh, disciples, someone who's learning from Paul. Uh, Timothy, uh, we learned a lot about him from the book of Acts. His mom and his grandma both have followed Jesus. They lead Timothy to faith. And when Paul gets to town... Timothy wants to go with Paul. His mom and his grandma let him go, and Timothy starts traveling with Paul, and he learns underneath Paul's wing how to lead a church, how to do things. And so at this point, clearly, Paul and Timothy are together. Even though Paul's in jail, Timothy must be visiting him or checking in with him, making sure things are good. And so Paul's like, hey, it's not just me. It's Timothy saying this. Mm -hmm. Would these people that he is writing to likely know Timothy? They probably know of Timothy. Colossae okay. is not far away from where Timothy grew up. So it's just down the road. So there's a really good chance. I mean, just down the road might be 40, 50 miles in the ancient world, mm -hmm. which is a lot further than it is today. You yeah. Know? Just down the road is a couple of minutes. Yeah. 40, 50 miles is a you know couple-day journey. Mm -hmm. But they probably do at least know the story of Timothy. So maybe Paul's saying this to sort of bump himself up a little bit in their hearing that they'd go, oh, yeah, the hometown kid down the road who— is hang out with the big the big deal apostle. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. We know who's telling us this now. So And they're kind of I mean it's also that they're kind of writing it not together, but they are I mean, I don't maybe not his scribe necessarily, but yeah, they are together while he's writing it. Yes. And it, it carries the weight of both of these. Yeah. So there is a there's an element of you need to know, you need to listen because it's Paul and Timothy both. Okay. Verse two. Yeah. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ and Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So our audience, this is who we're talking to. Yeah, it's a group of people from Colossae. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, in kind of the recap last week was just this idea that this is a group of people who have, a church has been planted in their midst. So they're meeting, like I said, most likely at Philemon's house. Uh, who knows how many believers it is, but Paul's writing to them saying, hey, check it out. And it's important to know that they are believers. Like these aren't people that he's trying to convert. These aren't like this. These are people who already know the truth. Which I so. think is important in why the word epistle is used of these letters. So I think sometimes we as Christians, and I'm saying this to the young adults and the college students who are listening to this, there's a good chance that you have read Colossians or a book like it, and you're going, this is so clear to me, I know how to follow Jesus. And then you show it to someone else who doesn't follow Jesus yet, and you're like, I don't understand why you don't understand this. These letters were not written so that the rest of the world would understand how messed up they are. The world already knows that. The Holy Spirit's doing that job. That's what John tells mm -hmm. us, is that the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of its sin. But what these letters are written to is a group of individuals who call themselves the church. So Paul already is saying, you need to think this through. So the reason why we use the phrase epistle for this, as opposed to just the letters of Paul, an epistle is sort of a, a more formal, 
uh, almost a didactic way of writing or a, or a didactic style of speaking. It's more of a speaking at you sort of thing, okay. right? It's the idea of I want you to hear what I'm saying. It's important. So we might word, use words like exhortation, right, or a challenge. Mm. And so the idea is that the, an epistle is saying this is a formal letter to you. I want you to listen to what I'm saying, and then I want you to do what I'm asking you to do. So what Paul's saying here is I've never met you, but I'm writing to you. I need you to listen to it, and I'm going to help you understand your faith and why you're doing what you're doing. It's big. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah. Verse three, let's do it. So we always thank God. And remember, the we there would be Timothy and Paul. So these two are praying together. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I just really like how Paul starts out his letters. Like, it's just a great way to start out. Whereas I feel like I would get to the point and just be like, stop doing this and start doing this. He's just... Like, he just has a great heart about it. Like, I truly care about you as a human being, not just your behavior. And so, like, yeah, we are, we're thankful for you and we pray for you. Like, that's just really cool. Yeah, it's really neat. Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So one question I had while reading this verse, and I mean, to be real, I mean, I kind of talk about this a little bit later too, but I get I get confused with all the commas and the run-on sentences <laughs> that I'm just like, what is, I have to often go back and be like, what's being talked about again? What's being talked about again when I get to the end of a sentence? Because I get confused. So we talked about this a little bit last week too, but so how has he known of their faith if he's never met them, right? So this goes back to where the letter comes from. I believe... We, we know that Paul's in jail. We'll find that out in chapter four. We know that's true. What I believe happened is this letter was written and given to Onesimus to take back with him to Philemon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Epaphras is the one who started the church. And we're going to find out, out in just a couple of verses that Epaphras is the one who brought the faith to these folks. But I, I'm thinking Onesimus showed up to jail and is telling Paul something. And Paul's asking questions, and Paul's actually encouraged by what Onesimus is saying and what Onesimus is doing. And then what Paul's going to do is write the letter to the Colossians and write the letter to Philemon mm-hmm. and send both of them back with Onesimus. And part of that is because Onesimus, when he arrives back at the church, he should be put to death because he's a runaway slave. Yeah. And so he's going to step in the church and go, here's the letters I have from Paul, and Philemon's going to have a decision to make. And we find out in another letter that Onesimus actually is still working with Paul. So we know that somehow this all works out and Onesimus, you know, creates some kind of amazing relationship with Paul and he's working with him and and involved in all of this, which means Philemon probably does free his slave, which means Philemon does utilize him for the gospel, which is really, really cool. But in the meantime, how Paul heard this is it's got to be Onesimus. There's no other... We haven't heard that Epaphras has left the Colossians to come back. But yeah... But we know that Paul hasn't met these people. Yeah. We do know that for sure. All right, verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. (laughs) I'm just like, what is... (laughs) So I always have to go back because there is one, two, three, four... There are already four commas in this one sentence. It's just like, ah! Let me trip it out a little more oh, than no. this. There are no commas in Greek. Mm-hmm. There are also no spaces between words in Greek. 
So you just have to figure it out? There are also no upper and lowercase letters in Greek. So if you were to look at it in a more original manuscript of this, and you can find these if you want to, it is a bunch of letters crushed together. And Paul is famous for having massive run-on sentences. Like the book of Ephesians, the first start of that book, verses 3 through 14, I think we break it into five or six sentences to make sense in English. Mm-hmm. It is one sentence. That's just crazy. And so in this letter, the same is happening here. Paul is actually not... There's no punctuation. Mm-hmm. Paul is just blah, like dumping all of his thoughts out, which goes back to what I said last week. This is Paul dictating a letter yeah. to a scribe, and the scribe is sort of ch- chalking down what he's going to say, and then the scribe goes back, writes it all down, comes back to Paul and says, is this what it's supposed to look like? And Paul's like, yep, that's good. And then here's the next part, and he just spews that part spews out that and out go too. from there. So the reason why the pun- punctuation is so weird and all this stuff is our best job to try to make it make sense no, it's it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And when you preach it, it's easy because it's it kind of makes sense as to why some of the commas are there. But when you look at it in the Greek, it's like, uh, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Weird. It is. So they're because I have to do this in my mind. So they're thanking God. They're yes. praying. Paul and Timothy are thanking God in verse four, and they're praying. And they've been praying since they heard of their faith in Jesus and of the love that they have for the saints. Yep. And they have this love and this faith because of this hope that is laid up for them in heaven. Yes. So the Colossians have understood that there's a hope laid up for them in heaven. So therefore, they have put their faith in it. And they're putting their faith in it means that now they are showing love to one another. A little foreshadowing of bearing fruit. It's not only bearing fruit, (laughs) but also what Paul's saying here is faith, hope, and love, Mm -hmm. which is something that's used by him a few times. We call it the Pauline triad. Mm -hmm. And basically these three things mixed together, it just means you understand what the gospel's all about. And I think it's kind of cool that the gospel's broken down by faith, hope, and love. Right? Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I I think it's really, really neat. Yeah, because I didn't even actually notice that, the faith, hope, and love all being there. Right. And part of that, we don't notice it because the verse breakdown, we put, we put the verse numbers on there like in 1100 AD. There's a group of people that did that to sort of make it easier to find stuff, but none of those verses existed. Yeah. So the, this letter would have first arrived, they would have just read all of it through and then they probably would have read it through a little slower the next time, but they wouldn't have stopped any of the places we stopped. Yeah. So another word that can kind of be a Christianese word would be gospel. Right. So, I mean, I always... Like Nacho Libre. They don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Like that? Oh, my gosh. Sure. Oh, Nacho Libre. I'm just saying if it's that unknown that even a movie like Nacho Libre will throw it in and people are like, I totally know what that means, but you really don't know what that means. But, like, do you really? I mean, that's the thing, too. It's And that's what we do with these Christian words all of the time, that we just assume people know them, but if you were to really ask them, it's like, do you? Right. actually know what that means. So I've often heard people say that gospel is the good news. Yes. Right? It's the same word. Mm-hmm. So gospel is, yeah, God spell would be another way to say it. And it's just the idea that something has been said and it's God's something that's been said. Mm-hmm. So gospel. The other way to say that would be it's the good news. And so what would happen in the ancient world, especially uh, you know, in Rome or whatever, you might receive a telegram you know, which is basically somebody telegram. Well, I love somebody it. somebody scribbled something on a piece of papyrus, and then they ran it to another town. <laughs> and as they got to the, that's the telegram. Yeah. And then as they're like, no, they don't do that. But <laughs> they, they, they run into town, and they're like, hey, 
I've got some good news. And you're like, what's the good news? You've been conquered by a new emperor. And they're like, oh. Yes. So the good news always meant there's been a king that's been born. Oh, okay. Someone's amazing. You have a new emperor to rule over you. Peasants enjoyed that. Fun. So it, sometimes the good news was legitimately good news. Sometimes the good news was like, oh, great, another ruler to pay taxes to. This is fantastic. In this case, the reason why the gospel writers, and I noticed the word we just used there, chose to use the word gospel, the reason why we call it gospel, is they were taking this idea of these emperors, these other people passing on their big news. And they're like, we've got an emperor. We've got a Mm. king. He runs the whole world. Interesting. We're going to tell you about him. And the good news about Jesus is that it's legitimately good news. Yes, right. It's not like, hey, your parents died because your village burned down, but you got a new emperor, right? That's what happens sometimes. But in this case, it's like, no, we've got really good news. There is a king who rules in heaven and who is inviting you to join him in his work. Have hope in that. Put your faith in that hope. And then if you believe that's true, then live like he lived and love one another. And you're like, that is really good news. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly why the gospel writers used the word gospel. So it's heavy laden. In Roman word, you know, parlance or in Greek parlance, gospel has a heavy weight to it. And they're like, that's a good word for us to use here. Let's use it. And so they would say, we're spreading the good news. Yeah, Which is funny because now I feel like it's only really talked about in Christianity. Because we... I almost said we conquered everyone else. But but in reality... At, yeah, there was a period of time. Good, good yeah. and bad. And I know, I'm not saying that in like a positive way. You know, like because of the Crusades, we, we, yeah, we won. Yeah. We did, we did, no one won the Crusades. Everyone lost. But the idea of, of us using the word as much as we do and the reason why you know it as well as you do or think you know it as well as yeah. you do is because we live in America where almost everyone says they're a Christian even if most people aren't. Yeah, true. And so the word gospel doesn't mean... Probably what it should. You know, we typically think of it as music from the South, right? Or, <laughs> that's so right? true. Or swaying, swaying qu- choirs in a Southern <laughs> church. You know, like, yes. we're like, that's what gospel means. No, it's the good news. Now, granted, those songs were written about the good news. Yes. And that's why they call it gospel. That's why it's a gospel album. That's why, you know, you win a Dove Award or whatever for it. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the Grammy for gospel Dove album Award. goes to, and sometimes, you know, Kanye. And you're like, oh. That's our gospel singer this year. Uh, sorry. But the idea, yeah, is, is gospel just means that. It means the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's something we should be sharing with folks. Cool. That's more than I ever knew. Yeah. Well, good. See, that's, that's, so why, great. We're, that's why we're doing the Bible read-through. Verse 6, which has come to you. So this, that which there is from the gospel, right? So the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Let me read that part again. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. That's really cool. Why? Because... What's so cool about it, Eric? That's what it's supposed to be doing. What is it? That's what the good news is supposed to do. It is supposed to to bear fruit, and it is supposed to increase, and yeah. Where do we first hear the phrase bear fruit and increase? Oh, no, no, no. Wait, let's let's save that for a little bit later. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Right. Verse verse (laughs) 7. But you're totally right. The gospel is supposed to be doing that. Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. This is where we're first introduced to him. Yeah. Who is like their 
church leader. Spiritual father. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say pastor, but that's not really a thing. It is. Then. Yeah. No, it is. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Shepherd. Okay. It didn't mean what it means today. Yeah. You know, like we think a pastor is the guy who gets paid from the church to do all the stuff for me. No. <laughs> okay. What, what I a, love that. Yeah. What a pastor is, is a shepherd, someone who, who loves a group of people enough to lead them in the faith, mm-hmm. to show them what it looks like. And uh, that doesn't mean that the pastor had special knowledge. It didn't mean that the pastor was like the best of all of us. It just meant that the pastor was knowledgeable about something, sharing it with you so that you would all come along. And there's some people in the church that are way better than the pastor. That's kind of the idea is that the whole body of believers is chasing Jesus together and we're all growing in maturity together. And so, yeah, in that sense, absolutely, Epaphras is a pastor. Yeah. And I can just tell that in this verse, Paul really wants them to respect Epaphras and like trust his leading with how he words the, the verse. I can just tell that he uh, is really putting all of his trust and hope in him and wants them to do the same. Absolutely. Which is part of why I said last week, there's a chance that mm-hmm. something weird is going on in Philemon's house. And I, I don't think it's totally reading into the text, but if you take what Philemon, what the book of Philemon is saying, and if you take this verse, you go, if he's saying, I want you to pay attention to Epaphras, Right or Epaphras, as you said last week, because that's, that's one of the ways you could possibly pronounce this name. Yeah, probably the more Greek way to pronounce it, but we're we're English, so we'll, we'll speak in English or whatever. But Epaphras, somebody maybe isn't quite listening to him to the extent that they should be, and Paul uses this to just poof, you don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm the apostle, the Timothy, the fellow servant. Where where you know us, you've heard of us. It's legit. We want you to pay attention to this guy. Epaphras brought it to you. He knows what he's talking about. He learned it from us. So you learned it from him. He learned it from us because he's our fellow servant. He's a fellow minister on your behalf. So he's the guy that I actually sent to Colossae to talk to you about this. He's coming in my name. So you need to trust this dude. Mm-hmm. And there's a chance that when this first gets read out loud, finally, it might be like, okay, fine. I should not have been causing that stir, you know, or... Finally, we might be going, okay, so what, what, what Epiphras said about me is right. I need to back down and, mm-hmm. and let him be in charge, which is an interesting way of, of noticing things here, but that's part of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, just a little ending on verse 8. I'll just uh, go back to verse 7 because it finishes the sentence. Yep. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Yeah, so what Paul is saying here is we know... Epaphras or Epaphras, we know that he's for you. He has let us know your love in the Spirit. So back to what we said a little bit ago, you said faith, hope, love. You're going, how does he know that? He might know it from Onesimus. It also is possible that Onesimus, you know, might have even brought a letter from Epaphras to Paul. Maybe that's part of the whole thing. Who knows? Who knows how this goes down? Or maybe... you know, maybe Epaphras sent Onesimus as the runaway slave. We mm, we we just have like totally. Yeah, there's so, so I'm many speculating so much here, but I'm I'm doing this to partly show you the text doesn't give us everything we want to know, but there's enough kind of hidden in it that you're going, oh, this this is a more intriguing story than I think it is. Mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of push on that a little bit as we go through the book, and you'll see kind of some of the things that they're dealing with. But in the meantime, he's heard it from Epaphras, so somehow the message from Epaphras is, I have a body of believers in Colossae, Paul. Your ministry to me has worked. I shared the gospel. The gospel is spreading. All right. Really cool. Which means it's time for... 
the deeper dive. It's been so long. It has been so long. It's this. so weird. Yeah. All right. So the deeper dive with this section of scripture, I'm going to just deal with one concept. There are some passages in this that are going to be just dripping with deeper dive stuff. So we're going to have to figure out how to manage the read through mm-hmm. and the deeper dive. But in this one, I just want to talk about when it says bearing fruit and increasing, there's another way to translate that. And I don't think we... We just kind of read through the text and we don't really always think and stop. But if you were to slow down a little bit and you were to say bearing fruit and increasing, what's another way to say increasing? One might say bear fruit and multiply. Wait a second. That sounds familiar. And then you move all the way back in the storyline to the very, very beginning. And what does God say to the humans? I am putting you in charge of everything. You have dominion over the planet. You have dominion over everything. And as you have dominion over everything, your job is to go forth, bear fruit, and multiply. And we always take that as human beings are supposed to just have babies. Right? Yeah. And oh, I hear yeah. and I hear Christians, you know, like, this is why I have 25 five kids. I'm listening to Genesis. Like, okay. I'd never heard of parent. <laughs> I, I, I put a disclaimer I, I on went, it. <laughs> I went so ridiculous. But then I'm always thinking, I'm going to get an email about this from somebody who's like, I've never met a Christian who has 25 kids. You're an idiot. I'm being exaggerated. Like, it's hyperbole. Okay. Yes. So the idea is that, uh, yes, there is something going on here. What, what God said to the man and woman, Adam and Eve, you are supposed to be my messengers. You are my, you have dominion. I've given you power. Go multiply it. And so we always take that as Adam and Eve are supposed to have kids. That's a natural part of being a human being for the most part. And I'm not talking about those that aren't able to have children. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the vast majority of human beings have no problem having kids. In fact, more often than not, many of us judgmental Christians say those people shouldn't be having children. I don't know why they're, you know. So it's just a part of human existence. Having children is a part of it. But... We don't think about what God might also be saying there is go forth and multiply, meaning I want you to take what I've created and I want you to multiply it. Well, yeah, they're image bearers. Totally. And multiplying image bearers. Yes. Is, yeah. So if you are understanding what I'm giving you, Adam and Eve, it means that you are going to establish my way of doing things in your home and you're going to teach your children to do the same and then they're going to go and they're going to spread my image. And my image is going to spread. And so the, the, ironically, the bearing fruit and multiplying in Genesis is I want you to go forth and share what you know about me and multiply that. Now we move to Colossians 1. I think Paul totally understands that. And I think what Paul's saying here is the gospel is bearing fruit and multiplying, which means a couple things. One is we didn't do our job but the gospel's picking up where we left off and taking care of it for mm. us. That's amazing. And if you start to run down that road a little bit, which is when we translated this book in, in seminary, uh, it's one of the books that you translate, Colossians, we spent a lot of time on this verse and just kind of dug and dug and dug, and all of us were just left in awe of, holy cow, what Paul's saying here is that you're supposed to be multiplying my kingdom. And, the, and since the human beings haven't done it, the gospel's now doing the work for you. That's amazing. That's like, we are all giving each other high fives. Like, that's awesome. That's so cool. The second thing that it does is it shows us how the church works. And what happens is we are supposed to understand what God wants for us and then multiply it. So the reason why, you know, you come to church on a Sunday morning, right? And that's really, that the, even that phrase is wrong. You are the church gathered on a Sunday morning. You're listening to the message. You're having a chance to walk through the book. You're learning something about what God is teaching you. And then you take what God has taught you, and you're supposed to multiply it. 
go forth and multiply. So your home should be Eden. Your children should be learning how to live out Eden. And as they learn how to live out Eden, they are going to plant gardens in their own home. And you're going to plant gardens at your job. And you're going to plant gardens at your walk in the park, right? You're going to plant a garden when you're buying your groceries, not legitimately. You know, like everyone's like, I took this cucumber and I buried it in the the outdoor department. No, no. I just mean like you're, you are a walking garden. The gospel has so infused you and changed you from the inside out that you are just a garden. And everywhere you go, everyone goes, I'm better having known you. Mm. Is that how Christians really feel about themselves? Probably not. No. And, and it's why I struggle so much when I hear like a Christian writes, uh, you know, a note to somebody after church, like, go get a real job. I'm not leaving you a tip. That person is a is mm. disaster. Like they are, they have not understood what the gospel is. It's just like the idea of when Jesus says, you've received this great gift from this king who forgives all of your debt and you turn around and beat your neighbor mm-hmm. for the little tiny debt that he owes. Jesus is like, if you understand what, you, what I've done for you, the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven, then that means that your faith is going to be in me. And if your faith is in me, you are going to love like me. And if you love like me, as you said a couple of weeks ago, humans are incredibly important then. Mm-hmm. They're bigger than politics. They're bigger than than lifestyle. They're bigger than all of it. And so we don't care what they have as a sign in their yard right now because yeah. we're in election season here in, in America. Uh, and it doesn't matter what they have in their sign. It, it matters. Do you see them as a human being and do you love them enough to plant a garden in their yard? And I, I don't mean legitimately plant a garden, but is Eden existent in your life to the extent that other people know it? Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Good. It's good. It's really good. All right. So let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. So It's been a long time since we did that, too. I, it has. I almost thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. <laughs> so we're just going to piggyback off the bearing fruit idea that you just chatted about, and we've chatted about a couple episodes ago with the discipleship part three. And just kind of being—I mean, you were super blunt there, too, but really just being like— if, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not showing those things, then is the gospel truly in your life, mm-hmm. you know? And and I know that we're all on a journey, and I know that we all are hopefully progressing. Right. But, I mean, that is truly what it is. If, if you're not bearing fruit, then the gospel is most likely not in your life. And I think for some of us, we need to take a hard look and, and realize, have we just added this in? to our lives or is it our life? Because right. I think in America, it's very easy for it to just become an add-on. I'll pray when I need to. I will read when I need to. I will, whatever it is, I'll go to church when I can mm-hmm. instead of it being actually a priority so that it can maybe start to actually bear fruit in your life. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what, how you actually bear fruit is it has to become your life. And let me say that a slightly different way because I love what you just said. We're not meaning that in a judgmental way. No, no. At all. No. That's what, and that's what you're saying, and I love it. But how, how I would say that it's just we, we aren't being judgmental. We're just saying that's a self-assessment. I'm not asking you to look at everybody else's pages on their paper. You know, don't, like, walk around like, oh, your test has an A, but I know you're really not. Like, it's not about everybody else. It's about you going before the Lord going, all right, am I legitimately surrendered to you in the way that I should be? Yeah. He'll answer that question for you pretty quick. I like it. That's good. It's a good thought. So my next thing for Let's Get Practical is to be an Epaphras or a Timothy, just mm-hmm. learning so much from them, just in these little verses that you're learning from others, that you're going to take it and share it, 
these men were trained in scripture and righteous living, and that was built up. But that, but that was then built upon the foundation of already given their life over to Christ. I think sometimes we, we go on to the righteous living, and then it just becomes legalistic. Well, like I've checked all the boxes. I'm going to church. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's actually not even built on the foundation of giving your life over to Jesus. So then when things aren't going your way, you kind of just fall away because there isn't actually building that foundation on the rock. You were probably on sand, you know, what Jesus talked about. Yeah. So really learning from others that might, we talked about this too, like that might be having a mentor that might be um, digging into the word yourself or seeing something in someone else and then going, maybe I need to chat with them a little bit more. I would like to, and not that I want to be like them, but there are, maybe it's parts of them that they're bearing fruit that you really are attracted to, that you really like. And you're like, I, I want to know how they got there. And so just gleaning from other people that are around you instead of just hoping that it's going to, yeah, you know, just happen because it doesn't. It is. It is work. This is hard. Like it's not. I mean, the Christian life is not easy. It is constantly coming to the cross. It's constantly yeah. being humble. It's constantly reminding yourself that you don't have it all together. But then also realizing that there's so much rich, rich grace that it is just. It's okay if you're constantly coming back and being like, I screwed up, but like we're in this and we're gonna keep going. So it's a beautiful thing, but it also is very hard. Like there's, yeah, the some juxtapositions in there. But Well, and I think Christians struggle with it should just be easy. Mm-hmm. But do you not realize how God made us? We were made to do meaningful work in the garden. That's who we are. So it's everything that's worth it is going to take work. Your marriage is going to take work. Being a parent is going to take work. Anytime someone comes to me and they're like, I just didn't know it was going to be this hard. What did you think it was going to be? Everything that's valuable in your life, everything that's worth it, takes time. Yeah. You want to you want to have a great car? You got to keep it maintained. You've got to everything that we live in, everything that we have access to in this planet takes work, because that's part of who we are. And if you go, I just don't want to work, then you probably haven't understood what your purpose is and what your plan in in, in the you know the grand scheme of things. And if someone says, well. You know, when we're in heaven, we won't work. I don't know if you noticed, but when you read Revelation 21 and 22, you're still doing meaningful work in heaven. So the beginning of the story was meaningful work in a garden with God. The end of the story is meaningful work with God in a garden in a city. And you're like, oh, so what are you supposed to do in the middle? Guess what? Meaningful work get, get to work. in the garden. No. So, so you say, like, I don't know how to d- live this life. That's why discipleship matters. Mm-hmm. You know, you said a second ago, it might be a mentor. It might be just going up to media. It always means discipleship, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the, you're always supposed to be discipled by someone. You have to have someone ahead of you. You have to have someone behind you. That's discipleship, showing people what it looks like to follow Jesus and also learning from people what it looks like to follow Jesus. And if you go, well, that's not true. How did Epaphras learn it? He learned it from Paul. How did Paul learn it? Paul learned it from the disciples and from Jesus. Oh, Jesus had disciples. Jesus' disciples then made disciples who 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 made disciples, and we're one of those. And we are here. And you go, I have never seen it that way. If you don't see it that way yet, welcome to the Christian life. This is what it's supposed to be like. We are supposed to be making disciples who make disciples. And what Paul's doing is he's passing it on to Epaphras. Epaphras takes it then to his his friends because why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you take what you know and then meaningfully pass it on to those that you love and those that you care about? Timothy, same thing. Yep. So it's awesome. So my last point in getting practical is being thankful and prayerful. 
it's the first thing that Paul did in his letter, and it's usually not the first thing that we do. We spend so much time complaining and being negative, and we are told to pray without ceasing and being thankful in all circumstances. Right. That's completely the opposite of what we do, but it's what we are asked to do, or counting it all joy when we suffer. Like mm-hmm. That's completely opposite of what we do. But as seen from Paul here, it's the first thing that we should be doing. Mm-hmm. So, as Paul always does, let's work on seeing the good and thanking him for it. And he is working literally all of the time. So pray for eyes to be open to see it. Prayer is also our best lifeline. Mm -hmm. Use it as if you truly would die without it. It should be our go-to and not our last resort. Absolutely. And if you go, I don't know how that happens. I don't know what it would take to be positive or to look at things differently. You can go back and listen to the beginning of the episode and think about what the gospel is doing in your life, what it's supposed to do. And if you're supposed to bear fruit and multiply, why wouldn't you have a better attitude about life? This world is messed up, but it's our job to help show people what it looks like to be better. Yeah, I was just talking with somebody before this and kind of talking about COVID and how just so many things are up in the air. And What's we COVID? Just, I'm, just, I'm kidding. Keep going. Stop that. And just, you know cases are going up, who knows if thing, more things will be shut down, whatnot. And I was like, well, it really just continues to teach us that like, we're not in control. And the person was like, way to look at the positive. I think they were being sarcastic. But truly, like, <laughs> I mean, it was, that was just, a, I just thought of that. I was like, oh yeah, that is kind of an example of, of trying to, yeah, bring in that positive even. You meant it positively and they didn't take it that way. Yeah, but then it's no, like, uh, but we're not in control. Like, no, I, we're I not. trust someone who's bigger and better and more powerful than us. And then, how do I use this to show people him? And the world will never understand that. So it's okay to be a little weird right now. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to say things that make everybody look at you like you're you've got two heads. The gospel is messy and weird for everyone else in the world. For us, it's the the words of good of life. It's the words of eternal life. It's the hope that mm-hmm. we have. And if you trust that, then you might have a different outlook on everything. So true. Which leads us to a brand new segment. So, yeah, we can't really do, I mean, we could talk about Enneagram, but we don't have the characters like we used to to actually type them, which was fun. I think you should and just so we don't type have that. Paul like 30 times. 30 times. <laughs> um, okay. Um, people would probably just turn it off after right now. So if we did that, yeah, you know, so yeah, correct. So we kind of thought we would do a little. Well, this was actually Chris's idea of Council Corner with Erica. Council Corner with Erica. It's Council Corner um, with Erica. I mean, to be honest, I end up talking with a lot of people throughout the week. Yes. And so I'm just going to kind of I mean, if I get actual input or things, I will bring them. But I'm also just going to get or just deliver to you things that people bring to me. Good counsel. You know? So one of the things that somebody had talked to me about recently was like they started dating somebody and there wasn't a ton of attraction right away. I mean, they were like, I mean, it's fine, but like, I really, I feel like I've always been in relationships where there's been a lot more attraction. And so they were kind of thinking this must not be it. And so they think then it's, yeah, it must not be meant to be, or they must get out of it if it's not a ton of attraction right away. And my advice to them and to any of you out there who are feeling that same way is attraction can build. Mm -hmm. It's not always something that is out right from the get-go, 
For some people, it might be. I always think if you have a ton of attraction, too, I think that can also be a bad thing. That's where you can start to become distracted. That's where they can basically become infatuation. It can take over your life. Right. Yada, yada, yada. I actually think it, the attraction that builds, I actually find to be better because you have a foundation already of just, I enjoy you as a person. Mm-hmm. And that attraction then has just built where you are like, I enjoy you as a person and that's why I'm attracted to you. It is not just you look real attractive on the outside and that's why I'm attracted to you. I'm actually more attracted to your inside rather than your outside. Mm-hmm. The outside has become, um, what's the word? Has, be- has I don't want to say it looks better because that doesn't sound right, but because I know your inside, your outside shines even brighter, mm-hmm. you know, and that's now why I'm attracted to you. And I think that stays longer than just being attracted to what you see on the outside. So Yeah, the outside never lasts. Yeah, it does not. You're going to get old someday. Yeah. It just happens. And everything's going to change. Or you're going to have kids and your body's going to change. Or you're going to get hurt and not be able to work out for a period of time. And your body's going to change. your body's going to change. (laughs) So why wouldn't you then build a relationship with someone who has beautiful character and something awesome that's going on inside of their life. Why wouldn't you be more attracted to someone who has an amazing relationship with Jesus and go, that person's going to challenge me to walk with Christ my entire life. That's worth it. And attraction is fleeting and kind of worthless in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I remember praying a lot for, obviously, like future spouse and more so praying that they wouldn't be a distraction for me. Mm. I knew what it was always like when I had my crushes on people and they did, they were distraction. Like I was constantly like, where are they? Where are they? Do they see me? Do they notice? Like Mm -hmm. I was constantly um, thinking about it and thinking about them. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that. They consumed my thoughts. They consumed basically my life. And I prayed and I, for years that I was like, I don't want that to be the case Mm -hmm. because God is supposed to be the number one, not the other person. And so I prayed a lot for that. And then when I met my fiance, I attraction wasn't there right away. And he knows this. So if he listens, he's not gonna be shocked by it. like, what? There you don't want attraction right away. Um, it built. And I actually thought then that it might have been wrong in the beginning because it wasn't this like infatuated, I I wanna spend all my time with you all of the time and I I can't get enough of you. And and I was kind of like, oh, it's not like that. So then maybe this isn't right. And then I was reminded, Erica, you've prayed numerous times about it not being a distraction and you not wanting it to take away from your relationship with God. And that's not what it's like. It's not Mm -hmm. doing that. So literally God is answering your prayer. He gave you the desires of your heart and you were like, I don't know about this. I, it, it's weird. Isn't that what happens all of the time? A lot. Like where we're just like, yeah. So anyways, yeah. Yeah. And having, and a lack of attraction doesn't mean that there's a lack of interest. Because I know that you were interested to get to know him right off the bat mm-hmm. when you saw him at church. And we were all interested to have you get to know him <laughs> as well. And so it turned out to be a beautiful thing. But in the middle of that, attraction is what the movies show us and what television. We are being conditioned, which is also why you jump out of a relationship as quick as you do sometimes. And especially young adults and college students, you are so fickle sometimes because you're like, well, I just don't feel it anymore. It was never about feelings in the first place. Where'd that come from? Like you, you've been told a bill of lies from all these movies and TV and everything else. 
if I were that other person, I wouldn't want to marry you because you're going to bolt when things get tough. You're not going to walk through it. And marriage is such a more powerful, beautiful thing than just this fleeting thing that our culture calls love, which is really just infatuation. Yeah. So I think that's really good advice to give to people. It's not that there can't be attraction there, because if there is, it doesn't mean that you're like totally missing it. You know, I was attracted to my wife, and she, I think, was attracted to me. I was going to joke earlier when you were I like, think. I was talking to someone, is like, it was Heidi? Uh, <laughs> no, but the, the the fact is, we were both, but we also knew each other from other people, mm-hmm. and what we were more attracted with was our walk with Jesus attracted us to each other, and we find each other physically appealing to one another. But what's made our relationship grow and develop and and be what it needs to be is because we are sold to the right thing. We're chasing after Jesus together uh, and on our own. And in the middle of all of that, we find what we need. Mm-hmm. So that's good advice in the council right. corner with Erica. You're welcome. If you got anything, send it my way. If you have any questions on life or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think it'd be a fun segment to have, you know, an email question to Erica that she deals with in the council corner. Mm-hmm. So send them. You can email us now. Yamcastpod. Right now. At Gmail. Do it. Or on Instagram. Now. I mean, you can even do it at my own Instagram, which is ehas. So. Now. <laughs> All right. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Thanks, guys, so much for listening today. You can find us at the Yamcast on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, we'd love it if you emailed us. Yamcastpod at gmail.com is where we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, we'd love it if you like the podcast. So, so like it, subscribe, rate us. James, what kind of rating are you looking for? Only ratings above four and a half stars. That is correct. None others. If it's any less than that, you can go listen to another podcast. We'll delete it. I don't think we can. I know. It's there forever. <laughs> Bye, guys. See ya. Coronavirus is for real. You gotta wear a mask. <laughs> Do you not care about people? And this is what Chris is doing with his doctorate. <laughs> <laughs>